Hi, I'm Dr. Gil Parad, a practicing hospitalist in Colorado. I should tell you right off the bat, I so far, as of August 2011, the date we're recording this first podcast, I don't take money from pharmaceutical companies and I don't have any conflicts of interest to report. I'm going to be talking today about Stevens-Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis. These are diseases we don't see very often, but when we do, we wish we knew more about them because these are processes that can kill people. So what's the differences between the two? Well, what Stevens-Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis have in common is that they both are characterized as acute epidermal necrosis. What that means is the epidermis is literally separating from the dermis. They both are frequently caused by cutaneous drug reactions, though not always for Stevens-Johnson syndrome. They both are mucocutaneous skin diseases, with a lot of tenderness and pain, and very often a distressing amount of severe pain. We commonly think of the mouth lesions as the mucocutaneous lesions, but many mucous membranes can actually be involved. That includes the vagina, the eye, the anal mucosa, and the urethra, and the nasal passages. The big point is that If you have a mucous membrane involvement of a rash, you always have to consider the possibility that you could be dealing with Stevens-Johnson syndrome or toxic epidermal necrolysis. Uh, We'll get back to what specifically to look for in a moment. So now that we've talked about what they share in common, what's the differences? Well, The differences between Stevens-Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis really is in regards to both quantity and timing. In regards to timing, Stevens-Johnson syndrome actually can turn into toxic epidermal necrolysis, a feared outcome of Stevens-Johnson syndrome, but doesn't have to. You can also have toxic epidermal necrolysis present suddenly without ever starting as uh, Stevens-Johnson syndrome. And quantity is the most important factor in defining the differences. Stevens-Johnson syndrome is when less than 10% of the skin has epidermal detachment. Uh, The difference is with toxic epidermal necrolysis, which is a lot worse, it's defined as 30% or more of the skin having epidermal detachment. So size does matter in this case. And what happens when you have this sort of no-man zone where 10 to 30% of the skin uh, is involved with epidermal detachment, well, that's actually called Stevens-Johnson syndrome slash toxic epidermal necrolysis overlap. Um, Not to define in either one field, but sort of an overlap between the two. Well, why is knowing the difference important? Well, toxic epidermal necrolysis, again, where you have greater than 30% of the skin involved, really should be managed in an intensive care burn unit, if at all possible. Stevens-Johnson sometimes needs an ICU or burn unit but it depends on the degree of the circumstances. The involvement of Stevens-Johnson doesn't always have to be devastating, though it certainly can be. Look at as many pictures as you can in textbook, journals, on the internet, wherever, and you'll see that 
it's fairly obvious once skin gets to the toxic epidermal necrolysis stage. But Stevens-Johnson in the early stages can be very challenging. So let's step back and talk about toxic epidermal necrolysis. If you have an iPod or iPhone or other listening devices. I'm trying to get a picture that you can look at right now as I'm talking, uh, so check your device. And what you'll see is that this disease has a lot of vesicles, bullae, and skin sloughing. It's among the most dramatic presentations in the world of rashes that I've seen. So you're unlikely to miss the diagnosis of toxic epidermal necrolysis if you've seen it once or even if you've studied it a lot in pictures. Stevens Johnson, on the other hand, can be more challenging to recognize, and it usually is a diagnosis made clinically. Now, that being said, skin biopsy is sometimes needed to make the diagnosis or to confirm it. I'm lucky to be in a hospital where I have really good dermatopathologists, pathologists that specialize in skin, and, and they can help me a lot with rashes, including in identifying these disease processes. Um, there can be skin diseases that present similar to Stevens-Johnson, like toxic shock syndrome, so it's not always real obvious. Well, let's talk a bit more in depth about the skin presentation. I've already mentioned pain as a big presenting factor and mucous membrane involvement as another big clue one should be very worried about. On occasion, there is only involvement of the mucosa and not a skin rash. Um, I haven't seen that, but apparently that is the case for some patients. I've also mentioned the dramatic vesicles and bullae and then the sloughing or exfoliation or desquamation, use the descriptive word of your choice, but one hopes to make the diagnosis before that starts happening if possible. If for some reason you are uncertain if the patient is in the exfoliative stage, you can look for this Nikolsky sign. When you apply light lateral pressure to the skin with your finger, um, a blister will form and some a Russian physician named Dr. Nikolsky was kind enough to point that finding out for us, though it happens with other blistering diseases as well, so it's not definitively specific for these disease processes. Not infrequently, diffuse erythema is the way Stevens-Johnson and toxic epidermal necrolysis initially presents, meaning it doesn't have to have um, a real specific finding and can almost look like a really erythematous cellulitis almost. Uh, but usually the early lesions are described as having a dusky center with bright erythematous surrounding. These are frequently called targetoid lesions. Um, again, if your device is working and I did it right, um, there should be a picture of these targetoid lesions on your iPhone right now. Um, what is dusky? Well, dusky in the dictionary is defined as gloomy or sad. However, I think that's in reference to mood. Um, most patients with this disease will indeed have the doldrums, I suspect. In regards to skin, the word dusky means having a dark or dim shadowy color. I'm not sure the word dusky helps me at all in identifying what is Stevens-Johnson or toxic epidermal necrolysis. Why 
Can't we just say dark center surrounded by bright red skin when talking about targetoid lesions, but I don't make the rules? While addressing that point, it's probably worth mentioning what targetoid means. In medicine, targetoid literally means having the appearance of a target. And while I should say I consider myself mostly a liberal, I do belong to a gun club, and they sell all kinds of targets. I particularly like the ones of the scruffy bad guy wearing a hoodie holding a knife coming at me, but they also sell the classic bullseye targets, and that's the ones that they're referring to by the word targetoid. These targetoid lesions are the same in Stevens-Johnson and urethema multiforme, syndrome, um, which is probably a good point to pause and say, what's the difference between urethema multiforme syndrome and Stevens-Johnson syndrome? Well, some experts have argued that there is no difference and that we're basically looking at the same disease. Others say that urethema multiforme is slightly different because there is no mucous membrane involvement. Um, you're welcome to believe whatever you want. Sigmund Freud said he does not believe that does not live according to his belief. Um, but the writer Robert Anton Wilson also said, belief is the death of intelligence. So um, you, as my podcast listener, uh, have been forewarned. Um, as a side note, Personally, when it comes to dermatology, which is not my strongest subject in medicine, particularly if it's not hospital-based dermatology, uh, experience in seeing dermatologic maladies definitely helps me recognize the process the next time around. I think derm lesions are one of those times in the hospital I most frequently will ask colleagues to look at a patient just to give their opinion without a formal consult. If a few of my partners are still perplexed, I will call for a dermatology consult with variable response rates and times. And, you know, it depends on the setting that you're in. It's easy to get a dermatology consult, I suspect, in most university hospitals, but private hospitals are having a harder and harder time keeping a roster of specialists eager to respond to less lucrative inpatient consults. The point being on that is that hospitalists often become the next best thing to a specialist if that specialist doesn't exist in a hospital or is difficult to obtain in a hospital. Um, for instance, in our hospital, we don't have psychiatrists or endocrinologists. At times, we haven't even had neurologists. So the hospice is being relied upon more and more without specialist backup. And for some areas of the country, I think that also includes dermatology. Well, let's get back to Stevens-Johnson. What causes it? Uh, given that Stevens-Johnson was first described by Dr. Albert Stevens and Dr. Frank Johnson all the way back in 1922, when they jointly published a case study of two children with mucocutaneous lesions, one would think that we know a lot more about this disease and how to treat it than we actually do. The exact probable immunologic mechanism and cause remain uncertain. The etiology can be very challenging, particularly when it's not a drug that's causing it. Infections can be the cause, particularly in children more so than adults, and particularly mycoplasma pneumoniae and herpes simplex virus um, are potential triggering agents, 
but other bacteria and viruses can be the source as well. This is more so for Stevens-Johnson syndrome and not toxic epidermal necrolysis. Toxic epidermal necrolysis is almost always drug-induced and not so much induced by viruses or bacteria. So as far as medications, which are the most common identifiable cause, there's a lot of medicines that can cause these rashes, but I tend to think of them as the five A's, which are analgesics, antibiotics, anti-epileptics, anti-gout, and anti-psychotics. When you're talking about anti-gout agents, you're talking about another A, which is particularly allopurinol. Antibiotics, sulfas, uh, are by far the worst player, but penicillins and cephalosporins are also big players. Antipsychotics and antiepileptics, this includes a large number of them, including carbamazepine, dilantin, phenobarbital, and others. And the same thing with analgesics. You're mostly talking about all the non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents as a suspected cause, but particularly paroxicam seems to be a bad player. So again, all medications in my mind can cause Stevens-Johnson and toxic epidermal necrolysis, um, though there are some drugs that are definitely worse uh, agents as potential etiologies than others. A physician, I think, needs to review all the medications these patients are taking and stop any potential causal agent. Sometimes we can't identify the cause, and that's frustrating, not to mention that Patients and family tend to lose confidence in us when that happens, but it definitely happens. Um, speaking of medications, when do the lesions appear after exposure to a medication if medication is the cause? And that's variable. It can be a day, it can be a month after starting a new medicine, and that variation can make it very challenging. Perhaps this doesn't need to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. It is important to never re-challenge a patient with a drug that you have a high or even moderate suspicion of causing Stevens-Johnson syndrome. And now it's time to talk treatment, which unfortunately is not always very satisfying. And these patients are usually hospitalized for weeks, if not months. Treatment, in my mind, falls into four categories. The first thing you need to do and the most important thing you need to do is stop the offending agent. Any drug that is causing or even potentially causing the rash must be stopped. The faster you get rid of it, the better your patient's prognosis will be. Since about one in three patients with toxic epidermal necrolysis will die, this point can't be overemphasized. Particularly, stop any medicine started within the past couple months. The second thing you want to do is try to avoid complications. How do these patients die? Well, they die of infection. When the skin is compromised, your risk of infection is tremendous. So, should we put these patients on prophylactic antibiotics? No, that's a bad idea. First of all, one of your objectives with Stevens-Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis should be to minimize any medicines 
that aren't essential. After all, it's usually a medication that caused the problem to begin with. Um, also, you have to worry about breeding resistance with prophylactic antibiotics. Um, excellent wound management is really important. Adequate hydration and nutrition is important. And pain control are among the matters that you want to pay attention to. If you can get a dermatologist to share your pain, I mean help with management, that certainly can't hurt and may help. Many also advise having an ophthalmologist following the patient if possible and available because there is the chance of permanent ocular complications that remains a really big concern with these disease processes uh, when the eye is involved. The third category of treatment is managing complications when they happen. Once signs of infection do start, then indeed you do need to start antibiotics at that time. Of course, it would be wise trying to avoid anything remotely related to an antibiotic class that may have been a trigger of the rash in that patient in the first place if antibiotics are suspected as the etiology in your specific patient. The fourth category of treatment would be the experimental or controversial therapies such as corticosteroids or IVIG. When it comes to steroids in Steven Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis, it reminds me of septic shock and corticosteroids. There's lots of opinions, there's lots of controversy, and very little convincing data. The concern is that they may theoretically increase the risk of sepsis. And again, how do patients die with Stevens-Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis? Infection. Um, I have not used steroids for toxic epidermal necrolysis because of that concern. But that being said, what is one of the many things steroids do? Well, they decrease inflammation and the immune response. There are dermatologists using them for Stevens-Johnson syndrome, and I've used it for Stevens-Johnson syndrome, even though I've not used in toxic uh, epidermal necrolysis. And I particularly use corticosteroids early in the course of Stevens-Johnson syndrome if I make the diagnosis within 72 hours of onset of symptoms. I want to mention that I do not treat children and have not reviewed the studies discussing steroid management in children for any reason, including Stevens-Johnson syndrome. The studies in adults are retrospective. I'd imagine that controlled trials would be very challenging in getting adequate enrollment, given that these are rare diseases, and given that corticosteroids won't be making big pharmaceutical companies wealthy. So I'm not holding my breath that we'll have an answer to the corticosteroid controversy anytime in the near future. The other therapy uh, that is sometimes used is intravenous gamut globulin, IVIG. It is used by some doctors for both Stevens-Johnson syndrome and toxic epidermal necrolysis. I have no experience giving IVIG for these processes and probably will not be using it unless the data becomes more convincing that there is a significant benefit. A prospective trial would be a wonderful thing to have someday in the future. Hopefully it will happen and we can't disregard the power of hope. After all, it was Helen Keller that said, optimism is the faith that leads to achievement. Nothing can be done without hope and confidence. So thank you for listening to what I hope will be the first of many 
podcast. If you like what you heard, leave a review on iTunes. Anybody wants to know more about me, um, I do have a website, www.gilparat.com. That's G-I-L-P-O-R-A-T.com. And hope you learned something about Stevens-Johnson syndrome.